హలో ఎవ్రీబడి ఐఎమ్ అనిల్ పినపాల ఫౌండర్ అండ్ సిఇఓ వివిఫై ఇండియా ఫైనాన్స్ ప్రైవేట్ లిమిటెడ్ one of my favorite movies is this charming movie called outsource which was released way back in 2006 and is the story of an american coming to india to run the call center that his company outsourced to india and what i really loved about that movie was seeing my country through the eyes of an outsider this movie really made that possible and this is also what i love about this conversation about seeing india from the eyes of somebody who is somewhat of an outsider Anil is a serial entrepreneur. He built two very successful businesses in the US before coming back to build a business in India. And his first business in the US was a SaaS business for fintechs. He was building a loan management system for the payday lending industry. So payday lending is this unique American concept. Uh, in the US, you're, you get your paycheck every week or every two weeks. And a payday lender is somebody you take a loan from when you need money until you get your next check and so as you can guess these are low ticket sized loans and typically given to non prime customers and this industry did go through a little bit of controversy before a regulatory crackdown but anil's saas product was really the dominant product for this niche and next anil started a digital lending business where they were acting as a digital lending partner to american nbfcs and helping them bridge the digital gap anil realized that the bigger opportunity in digital lending really was in india which had a massive population with low credit penetration and this is where the story gets interesting anil talks about his learnings the differences between building in india and building in the us and the differences in indian regulations and american regulations both in good ways and not so good ways and really this conversation is a masterclass about building a lending business with a regulatory board and especially for a non prime audience there are very few companies which have managed to pull this off successfully and I- i'm just waiting to hear the next big funding announcement for vvfi finance which is the startup that anil built in india and their flagship product is called flexpay you're listening to the founder thesis podcast and i'm your host akshay dutt I started one business while I was in IFT. I was trying to do some early stage gaming application. This was web 1.0 and nothing was really working on the internet, but I still believed gaming will be big. So I tried to do something on gaming at that time. Obviously it was way ahead of its time so I didn't succeed and when camp- through campus placements I got into technology consulting mainly on strategic consulting for internet service providers. But the bug was still there so so i instead of trying to do it myself i joined a large team of like founders back in 2001 or so who were setting up a company called virinchi in hyderabad so i became a part of founding team there i had a smaller stake i was fresh out of college parents not from a wealthy background so i had to earn my way self up so it was most of the equity was given as sweat but it was a great journey with virinchi initially it was like a any nice tech startup at that time we had a great business plan which we blew it up in 6 6 months and realized that it's not going to work was it a services business no we wanted to do b2b marketplaces so 
The business was to build B2B marketplaces, Alibaba, but the software of it. So there were two large companies at that time called Alibaba One and Commerce, sorry, Ariba and Commerce One, which were building these B2B marketplaces. And each one in the US was listed and back in the day worth over a billion dollars each. And we were the only company in India at that time that was trying to do this. And the Indian market was not mature at all to build anything like that. So we tried to do it in Southeast Asian and European markets. But we realized to compete against big American well-funded companies worth over a billion dollars each was not enough. You just don't have the wherewithal to do it. So we were mildly successful in Europe, somewhat successful in Southeast Asia. But the business wasn't going anywhere. Three years later, both of those companies exist in some form or the other, but they're not doing great on their original business model either. So so we shifted tack to being a services company, uh, doing IT services. But I realized that IT services was getting a crowded market. So I was always searching for a niche. I was spending a lot of time in Europe and I got an opportunity through the bank. I was working there to work on the short term, a small dollar lending space in the US, where when I went to the US, I realized that the market was not mature in terms of software for that business. So I thought it was a worthwhile investment to make and convince the rest of the founding team that, hey, this is where we should spend all our time, effort and money so that we'll get a niche that we can own. So this, you're talking about building a, a like a loan management software. Yeah, this was a loan management software, specifically targeting the small dollar lending industry in the US. Which is also called payday lending. It is called payday lending, colloquially. And we built that software to be the largest in the space with over 40% market share when it was all said and done. And this is, you're selling it out of India. We were building it out of India. I was part of the build process. But I was, I moved to US by then. This was right after 9-11. So this was early 2000 still. I moved to US. I had a beaten, beaten up Hyundai Elantra, <laughs> which I used to drive from, which I used to drive all the way from Philadelphia to South Carolina and Tennessee, which is the birthplace of what is called the payday lending industry. So I had a great interactions with all the original founding fathers of that industry in the US. And I used to drive like 800 miles, 1000 miles, and maybe not 800, maybe yeah, 600 to 700 miles and trying to build that business. But it was all worth it. At the end of the day, we became the industry leader there. And I developed great relationships with everyone in that space. And to build something from a scratch to be a leader, especially in the greatest geography in terms of business, which is in the US, it was a niche business. It was a niche business all said and done. If we'd built a similar software in insurance, maybe Infosys or everybody, or iFlex or iGate, everybody would have known our name, but we did it in a small niche space. So, but still it was worthwhile and uh, was a great journey all the way. And the product we built was called QFund. So why didn't you just continue in that business only? Like I can see from your LinkedIn, you became the CEO uh, of that business. So you could have diversified into... Yeah, yeah. See, the payday lending business was very dynamic in those years. It went from being a 14-day, $400 product, mainly focused on low-income Americans to, because of regulatory pressures, as well as customer awareness and empowerment, the product needed to change nature and the product. So uh, this was 2004, 2005. There was a lot of federal pressure on the on this industry, on this industry, and it became very highly regulated. And I was helping that transition, working with a lot of founders. So I had a great front row seat uh, to the way the industry was changing. And I helped that transition to a very highly regulated space and then helped the transition post 2008, the subprime crisis, 
that was a huge moment in the world and i was helping the businesses transition through that and then from 2010 the more and more loans started getting written on online than through a branch and i helped them through the transition and a lot of these companies became a lot valuable and some of them got listed and are billion dollar companies and i was building the software and i was like i built a lot of wealth for a lot of people but we are just this software service provider maybe i should be a lender myself so that's why i <laughs> so that's why i said okay i had enough of this so let me try and become a lending company on my own so that's how i said and uh, at that time my main partner in that other business he was trying to build a hospital and a biotech platform and i was initially involved in that but over a period of time i said it's not clearly what i do or enjoy and i enjoyed what i was doing so i said okay let me become a lender instead of being a software service provider to a lender yeah okay okay interesting so when was this when you decided to change to pivot uh, this was 2012 2013 time frame this was a good 10 year journey with living in the us at that time like i was living in i was living in the us i was married to the person i whom i now know for close to 28 years almost so so we met early in college so it's almost right out of high school so so i got married and somewhere towards that end of that decade i had my first and only kid my daughter so yeah and she was 2 years old and we were in a great place i was running the company we were the leader in the space and sometimes when you get to that place you seem like there is not enough challenge right and you need to challenge yourself what best time than to when you have a 1 year old or 2 year old kid to stop doing what you have been doing till then and venture out on something new all together <laughs> freaking your wife out she was super support she was super supportive i think her parents and my parents were freaked out because you kind of they saw progress right like we I, we came from pretty humble beginnings and we got to a nice place and it was like why are you you're no longer in that hyundai elantra <laughs> yeah no definitely not <laughs> but why are you rocking the boat here so you're living the american dream you have the large house the few cars and everything else yeah and uh, yeah we were living in philly and then i moved to miami because our work allowed us to do and being in a much more prettier city appealed to us so yeah with it i just took that step leap of faith and the journey with my co-founders there was really great in virinchi but it was just time i wanted to move on and try and do different things so you wanted to become a lender in india in the us because that's the only jurisdiction i worked in and i knew that place and yeah so it was so the business we started next was called tech friday i had one of the folks who used to work with me in virinchi come over and join me he was a part of the founding team and i roped in my wife to also be a part of the founding team so at tech friday and so we wanted to do digital lending in the us and by then the world was shifting to mobile and i wanted to do a mobile first ai driven underwriting those were still not buzzwords back then so we built one of the first mobile first lending platforms which was completely a machine learning ai driven underwriting platform and i wanted to do both consumer financing like durables financing and unsecured lending bnpl yeah bnpl back in the day yes in the us market but the bnpl side of the business didn't take off as quickly as as the core unsecured lending business took off and we built it through partners we built it through we we were 
responsible for the bottom line, profitability, customer acquisition, everything. But for the licensing and others, we were more like a co-lending arrangements with a few lenders. Right, right. You didn't lend from your books. You... Yeah, it was off balance sheet. Right, right. What fintechs in India also do? Yeah, yeah. it was off balance sheet lending. I up with an NBFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something like that. So we were tied up with license holders. And so the unsecured lending side of the business grew much quicker than the BNPL side of the business. Obviously, why? And what was your go-to market? Like, because the players that you were servicing all had branch network through which they would be sourcing loans. What was your go-to market? See, by that time, it was slightly already shifting towards internet. And they were all kind of the channel mix was not predominantly internet but it was like internet was like at least 20 30 percent of their market share so we used to tell go tell anyone who wanted to be in a lending partnership with us hey we see the world going this way we know that a customer would need would be applying this loan on a mobile phone and they were still the smartphones were not as smart than as they are today and told them that the customer would expect a loan decision to be like within seconds. And that's what we have built. And this is where if you need to grow, you need to come and be on this platform. And this was with revenue shares. This was with profitability. We were participating in the risk, not necessarily on the balance sheet, but we had a bottom line responsibilities. And and that's that, that was our reach. And we had built the platform before we had our first client. Everything was built out. So we were actually demonstrating. So the... Client is like channel partners who would source uh, borrowers. That, that's what we mean. Yeah. So, I mean, not client. We call them lending partners. We used to call them lending partners. And we had a few of them, but eventually two main relationships were the ones that really worked for us. And we really... And what kind of companies were these these lending partners like? These were previously would be what would be called as the payday lending companies, but they were changing nature. And... Because that high cost structure was also not something we believed was sustainable. And we, once customers came to our platforms, we cut down their APRs by more than or nearly half, like the end customer cost of credit. What's uh, APR? What is APR? Annual percentage rate. That's how interest rate is expressed. It is a way interest rate is expressed in the US. It includes all costs like jaisa you have interest rate you have processing fee documentation fees you have to combine everything so that it is clear to the customer customer will see one number and see what is his true cost of credit as an you have a small interest rate and then a large processing fee which may look like you're getting a low interest loan but yeah, so this is a good regulatory norm. Huh? India should also get something like this. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's one of my pet projects, I would say. US has a very fantastic customer disclosure, which is documented in the Reg C called as Truth in Lending Act. It's called TILA for short. So it is designed to ensure the customers truly know what is the lending cost. The way the regulation is written, it tells you how to calculate and how to disclose. And the most important data has to be disclosed in really big font sizes so that customers know exactly what they are entering into. So, yeah, it still has some catching up to do on that side, whereas India is much better in payments and 
ecosystem and infrastructure regulatory infrastructure is so much better than whatever us has and the banking infrastructure is tremendously excellent but yeah on the customer facing side us is still a little better and so we we said you will shift to a digital channel you will cut your interest rates to your end customers by half because we are using ai ml and we will try to get you into a product which is much more stickier so everyone was doing a 15 day loan or a installment loan we said we should do a line of credit when a customer is coming online you should be able to pay and redraw without having to redo a new loan and that's how we said okay so these were the three main value propositions a lot of people had interest but we developed two really good lending partnerships and over but why did you not just use performance marketing and acquire customers yourself if it was all digital then why did you need a partner we needed the partners mainly for licensing we just didn't want to go through the entire licensing portion on our own so oh even to give a loan you need you of course need a partner for the balance sheet but even from the customer acquisition side you need a partner you can't directly acquire customers no no we can acquire customers but eventually these partners were the one on their books with whom what we wrote the law okay 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 i understand now so you were basically like these partners were just the balance sheet partners you were responsible for customer acquisition and onboarding and all of it got it yeah yeah and also the credit bureau data and all and in us there is a lot more still what is called as direct marketing is you actually still even today 2022 most number of loans in us be it credit cards or unsecured loans or personal loans as we call them here they all are opened by someone actually getting an offer pre approved offer in a mail when i say mail it's not email it's actually in a mailbox people open take it out and type their invitation code in so as amazing as it is is still the most dominant channel for acquiring customers in financial services business in the us to do a lot of that you need bureau data and bureau data has its own restrictions and its own licensing environment so to to comply with all of that we needed these partners and obviously the balance sheet and the license license portion and with those two large lending partners over a four year period we did over a billion dollars in loans and a billion and a half in obviously the big portion is to get back payments so so we got over billion and a half in payments in those four years and and we set up a large offshore center as a part of that here in hyderabad the main office was in miami the back office was in hyderabad which we built a large data science team we had transaction processing people tech team everything was based out of hyderabad which grew to, to almost 250 300 people over those four years five years and i was traveling back and forth my partner was based here in shri kompela he was based in hyderabad me and my wife mrudula we were managing the us side and we used to travel back and forth and i saw the evolution of india during that time i aadhar was becoming more the credit bureaus were being set up the same credit bureaus we had in the us and i was seeing green shoots of an opportunity in india and we really wanted to pursue it and we were having a great success and there was still a lot of growth to be had in the us business but the indian business opportunity seemed like present and now and i was really trying to get to do something here so we were trying to see if we can exit our us business and fortunately one of the lending partners came over said they will acquire our business so 
and it was a great deal for us. So we sold that business for a combination of stock and cash. I am a part of the team there as a shareholder and as a board member now. And mainly we got out of the business to pursue the huge India opportunity, mainly for the underserved and unserved segments in India. And that's and that's how Vivify was born. So tell me about starting in India then. You wanted to do the same product like unsecured loan, low ticket size unsecured loan? Yeah, we wanted to do the same product, low ticket size unsecured loan. What we saw in India as an opportunity is, see the first 50 million, the first 100 million in India all have credit, no matter technology, non-technology. And when we are talking about applying a loan on a phone, it's very convenient if the alternative is inconvenient, which in the US was very inconvenient. But in India, you had the DSAs and the banks who will come to your home, whether it's bank account opening or loan, the person who is good credit score and has access to credit is signing in 20 places and someone else is filling their form for them almost. So we believe that solving for technology and solving for speed for the really people who are already served in India isn't as much of an opportunity for the first 50, for the first 100 million. We saw the opportunity as 300 million, 400 million Indians who just do not have access to formal institutional credit. So, and that's what we saw as an opportunity. Um, In some sense, we were working with the same group in the US. There are a set of people in US who cannot come up with $400 when they need it. And that's about 30 million, 40 million in the US. The same underserved and unserved segment in India is much larger, which is a 300 million people. And the premise was similar. People to today go to the to their friends, their family to get those five thousand rupees, ten thousand rupees when in need, or they go to the local money lender who will charge an exorbitant sum or something, or they could. There are other ways because the banks are not interested to do a twenty thousand rupee loan for ten days. That's the truth of the matter. So we just wanted to stick to the basics, what we did for the last 10 years, almost 20 years. The first 10 years was just purely selling technology and product consulting. But the next five, six years was mainly doing the business itself. So we stuck to the basics and we said, similar customer, similar market opportunity. Obviously, learnings have to be different. The market is different, but the principles are the same. So, and we had pretty evolved algorithms and everything in terms of underwriting. But obviously, you can't take the same thing and plug here and expect it to work. The good thing for us was the bureaus were the same. TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax were the same three bureaus we worked in the US. Here, we also have Highmark apart from that. So, the models were pretty much replicable. So, as in your algorithms, you didn't need to like work on the algorithms from scratch. Those same algorithms that you use for underwriting in the US could work here. Yeah, similarly can work here. But the things that we had to do in India was make use of the great ecosystem, the Indian government, regulators, everybody provided, be it Aadhaar, be it UPI, be it NSDL and all the other innovations. Obviously, we want to leverage them and kind of, so we built all of that. But we were not cocky, so to say. We didn't say, hey, we already have done this in a different geography and let's get started and start disbursing tens of crores or hundreds of crores from month one. We said, we recognize this is a new market. We need to learn. So we spent some time learning and letting the algorithms and our platform localize. And we made a lot of progress. But in India, what happened is we wanted to do the same thing we did in the US. The one thing that didn't clearly click for in India is 
they didn't understand the way we structure the product the existing lending partners didn't have exposure to the way we structure the product and uh, we're not willing to be the first one so kind of out of necessity we actually applied for the rbi license and got our license so that we would do the lending on our own balance sheet and that's how we became the first fintech in india to get an nbfc license and i'm saying it on record now i'm assuming it is mostly true <laughs> Uh, okay okay so but i believe like we were ahead of time in getting the license as an nbfc and we were one of the first fintechs to do lending completely on our balance sheet and and the way that space has evolved and the way rbi's digital working digital lending working groups recommendations are aligned we are eventually aligning in that direction so in in some ways maybe out of necessity but we were a bit ahead of time and it worked out to our advantage on that yeah your uh, hyderabad offshore development center was not part of the sale transaction it was part of the sale transaction it was acquired as a part of the sale transaction we there was as we were exiting that business we already set up a separate operation and started to build up everything that we required to do in us the one advantage we had because you already had done it so you could do it pretty fast like it it wouldn't take you years to build up the product to the same level and we we are technologists at heart and we built back in 2000 we built the first web based point of sale loan management system before that there was no web based point of sale loan management system and we were the first ones to do it we grew it to be a leader we were the first ones to do a mobile first ai ml driven underwriting platform mobile first origination platform so it technology never scared us we always took that challenge and were inspired to do the next version of it when we did it for india it and i keep saying this again and again the indian ecosystem provided us so many tools that were never available in any other geography so it it was so much more rewarding to kind of leverage the india stack to build this platform so something like say a kyc in the us would have probably needed the person to click a photo or upload some document which in india could be done just through a otp based and especially when we started we could use aadhar completely for kyc through the e kyc process later on obviously with the supreme court judgment some of that changed and but the rbi quickly came up with video kyc regulations and others which helps smooth in the process but yeah kyc is so much better and so much more reliable in india than in the us fraud happens everywhere but the level of synthetic fraud in the us is many folds more synthetic fraud what does that word mean synthetic fraud is a fraud that people do by using data some of which is publicly available and create alternate identities and then start to apply through because some of the logic of getting the identification numbers is kind of very well known especially in the earlier days so you could create multiple identities and then use that to spread fraud and but india because of the regulatory infrastructure we have it's still very difficult i'm not saying there is no fraud in india but it's a much higher threshold it's a much higher threshold to cross yeah right, right. got it got it okay okay so yeah how did you do your go to market in india the segment that you wanted were they the kind of people that you could target through facebook ads and google ads and that performance marketing approach or 
Like, how did you target them? And you had that same approach of online only? Yeah, we once again took the same approach of online only. And the main reason was, if you took a feet on street or a branch-driven approach, we wanted to do really small loans. We were truly, when we say our our vision and mission is to provide access to credit, we actually take it to heart. And we said, it is more important to give a loan to the consumer and make sure that they can build their credit history than to give them a large loan. And when we started with a 4,000 rupee loan as our smallest ticket, today we do a small ticket loan of 500 rupees. And when you have to do that kind of a small loan, it is almost impossible to administer it through a large branch network or a lot of people working feet on street because the economics will simply not work. So that's why we took a digital first and a digital only approach by and large. Yeah, but the customers are available the same. When you're talking about an underserved customer in India, this is not someone whom you don't see. They're all around us. They're continuously around us. When we are talking about underserved customer in India, we are talking about a customer with less than 30,000 rupee income, less than 20,000 rupee income. Because most banks have that threshold or even NBFCs, like below 30,000 income cut, below 20,000 income, you are not. And these people are all around you. They all have phones. They're all going to YouTube. They're all still posting on Insta or Facebook. They're doing their mouse videos or Chingari videos. So they're the same people who are all around you and doing almost similar things as most of us do. It's just that they just don't have access to credit. And that's our almost clear focus. We are not saying we do only new to credit. We are not saying we'll do only people with bad credit history. We do both of those segments. But we just say we do customers who just are stressed because their history is bad or they're new or they just have such low incomes, especially when you're beginning your careers, you all start to stand somewhere small and then grow to a bigger and during that period is when they need most credit and the credit is not available so that's and the performance marketing approach worked really worked well and most of which was organic to begin with we had very little paid initially and that was the time we were also controlling to make sure we learn organic as in you were just Posting on Facebook pages and so on about get a loan. Yeah, or do search engine optimization and stuff or app store optimizations and let people find us. And later on, we did more actual paid performance marketing. But yeah, that that was a bro approach and that still works well. But however, I think we are at a stage now where we are now trying to expand more. We want to reach a much larger canvas where we really want to overcome the limitations of literacy, be digital literacy or just plain literacy, that we don't make it a barrier to entry. And that's where we are updating our app to completely have video onboarding, a voice-based onboarding. And we want to overcome the limitations of location, legacy, livelihood. None of those things should matter. And to reach to that customer, we are slowly now transitioning to a phase which will be not purely digital for customer acquisition and brand building. It will be both offline, online partnerships. And soon you will see FlexPay, which is our flagship brand now, be a lot more prominent across India. So you launched with FlexPay only, FlexPay as the brand? We initially launched with a brand called Flex Salary. That was the initial brand name under which we, because we were trying to see, call it a salary advanced product. So you are getting your money ahead of time kind of a thing. But see, these are the learnings you have from market to market, right? When we say salary in India, the definition is organized, PFI, ESI, yes, you have everything, bank account set up, everything and money is coming. Only then it's called salary. But 
there are a lot of people who are getting salary but it's not because they would not have a pf account but every month they are getting 20000 rupees and they are no different than the guy who is working in the bpo they could be a driver they could be a domestic help they are all still getting salary so that's where we said this should not be the name should not limit the product because once you say salary even the people don't think they are getting they are in the same salaried class because salaried class means something else in india so that's where we kind of expanded the definition and made the primary brand flexpay but it also has several features which are using the sophisticated payment system available in india to help customers do scan now pay later buy now pay later kind of functionality so we expanded on the functionality and that was the other reason but also the main reason was not to limit the product to only salaried people if you like to hear stories of founders then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses just search for the founder thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like spotify gana apple podcasts and subscribe to the show tell me about the customer journey like when somebody like they would download the app that's where the journey would start yeah yeah the customers can download the app or come onto our website hit the apply now button and then go through a process which takes depending on how much information you have ready made could be as less as 3 to 4 minutes to as much as 15 minutes to complete the loan application and we give a real time decision right if the customer has given all the information within seconds you will get a real time decision what information do you need like pan aadhar pan aadhar is optional now pan compulsory give their income details employment details if whatever kind of employment they may have self employed is also fine and then give bank details to see bank transaction data and that's it once you have we will check the credit bureau if you have a bureau file great if you don't have a bureau file we still process the application and then within seconds we give a yes no and also uh, if yes how much uh, loan amount decision and then the customer has to go through a vkyc e sign process but at the same time uh, we still the customer can still print out a loan agreement and then we can have someone go pick it up as well how do uh, how does the algorithm decide yes or no what is the like broad stroke criteria you're looking for the broad stroke data obviously we look at a identity pool and then in income and bank transaction data we layer in the bureau data to do mainly the first layer we look at is eliminate fraud the second layer we look at is what is called the intent to repay portion of our algorithm which is trying to assess the intent to repay and then we assess what is called as the ability to repay if the customer the funds they cross the threshold of intent which is making sure the customer actually has the intent to pay back irrespective of whether they have money or not the second the third threshold as i said is the ability to repay which takes into complex payment burden related analysis cash flow analysis and then and then we look at access and everything else as the fourth layer to come up with a decision and all of this happens within seconds and we go through maybe a few thousand data points to make the decision on any loan application obviously depending on the extent of data available as i said we eliminate fraud then we go through the intent layer of our algorithm just trying to determine if the customer actually has an intent to repay or not and then we determine the ability to repay which will include cash flow analysis and payment burden analysis pretty complex and then we talk about access that the customers will provide and and this includes all the data id data uh, limited phone data but some phone data and 
bank data, income data, transactional data, all of that is combined. And we look at a few thousand data points to make a loan decision. It's done in seconds. So uh, access, you mean in terms of what permissions he gives on the phone when the app is asking for permission? That's what you mean when you say access? No, no, access when I'm talking about, no, not permissions. I meant was mainly related to what kind of bank accounts that the customer has. It is access to credit. Where in the financial inclusion lifecycle are they? So that's more of the access I was talking about. We use a bit of a device data, but we are not heavily dependent on it. It's more related to, we, we place a lot of emphasis on understanding the customer's cash flows more than anything else. See the bank transaction or the bank statement. Does he need to, is there an API integration directly from the back end you can get or does he like? Yeah, the customers can do both. A lot of our customers just upload their bank statement and we have the OCR technology and everything to strip that data and put it into the, but we also have account aggregator integrations whereby under the Sahamati consent driven platform, we get access to the bank transactional data. Both of those are available. We look phone for a lot of fraud indicators, mainly to see the velocity of applications. If we see from a given same IP or a same device, multiple loan applications are getting generated, that's probably fraud, right? So those kinds of analysis. So, so that is more of what we, we look at phone data. If the customers do give us access to SMS transactions, we try to validate it with the bank data, some of which we can do, yeah. So those kinds of things. But yeah, we use phone data more mainly as a layer to eliminate fraud, not necessarily to underwrite and deliver credit. Even there have been people, there are a lot of people who are trying to evaluate social media and device as means of underwriting. And we always dabble with it. But those models are still not mature, nowhere near mature in terms of predicting or splitting risk as we call it in credit and are not reliable underwriting. In fact, in once more, India's on those consumer transparency and uh, consumer credit kind of things is a little behind. And in US, uh, there are certain ways you can only uh, underwrite a customer. It's called fair credit. It's all covered under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So you can't use what are not credit reporting variables to make credit decisions. So you just can't say, a phone is, if it's an iPhone customer, then I would do a loan with him. Because what, and this is another area, like the truth in lending I referred to earlier, this is another pet project I have somewhere along the way. I hope I can really help implement this in India. It's called disparate impact or discriminative practices in lending. So if you are trying to say, if I use phone as a, or some sort of a, determiner which is not a credit determiner in making a loan decision it might cause a disparate impact on a certain segment of the population in the u.s obviously it is race in india it could be just religion or caste or something which could even though you don't directly get that data just because you took some other way it might cause a customer who is from a certain segment or a certain area to be unfavorably decision so we take that to heart. And even though there are no compliance requirements in India, we kind of base a lot of our decisioning on the freight credit reporting principles. So that's another thing I think we can bring into India to ensure that, see, access to credit is just not about doing a loan for 20,000 rupee income customer or a 10,000 rupee income customer. It's also to ensure that two 10,000 rupee income customers will get the same loan decision if everything remains same. 
that people are not bringing their age, their religion or the place they live in or things like that or caste and stuff like that into the mix. So we strongly believe as a company in those principles. So, and once a person is approved, then how, uh, is it a line of credit? Is it a prepaid card or is it just money transfer to his account? What happens there? It's a line of credit of which the customers have an instant access to. And the access is available in a format that they can get it into their bank accounts. But they also can pay merchants and others as well. So, once more, like if the app has a QR code reader, so they can, like, wherever there is a new... Yeah, they can do all of that. Wherever there's like a Paytm or a like a scan and pay option, so they can... Yeah, we do support it. But once more, I see those are all innovations which are just allowing a customer to access credit wherever they need it. The bigger... And there are so many people doing all the same thing on that front. For us, the biggest differentiator for us is the customers we are able to bring access to credit to. That is the biggest difference. And that's where the 300 million people we talk about. And we are barely scratching the surface or uh, to use another, uh, the tip of the iceberg. It's not even the tip of the iceberg. There are very few fintech companies like ours. There are uh, a few of our peers who do it. But the large market has still not tapped into these consumers. And that's what excites me. That's what is exciting. Not just, I'm not seeing this as a zero-sum game that Vivify or FlexPay has to win. It, if there are more people, there is a collaborative competition that we bring. And mostly lending is never a zero-sum game. That there is only one winner like search or social media. So there is always room for a lot of people. I always say to my fellow peers in the industry, you should look at this segment. Because when more people come and more people offer credit, it provides it provides a richness of that data that will improve the access to those consumers. So yeah, that's what excites us a lot. And yeah, we try to provide like a digital credit card kind of. Go back, going back to your earlier question, we tried we try hard to make it like a digital credit card experience to the consumer. Because one of the things we also believe credit should be sashesized and easily usable in every place. And if you look at the U.S., post-Vietnam War, the U.S. economy's boom was built on the back of open-ended credit card, open-ended credit cards, right? Like revolving lines of credit, which were used, built on credit cards. In India, credit card penetration is 55. There are 55 million people with a credit card in India, in a country of a billion people. Even today, credit card has over a trillion dollars outstanding in the U.S. In India, it's when you compare it to the personal loans, it's a small fraction. So if India has to grow and we become a $5 trillion economy, it will be done on the basis of the large untapped middle class of India, which is a 300 million people, get credit card-like access so that you are expanding their wallet. There is more for that that people can consume. Only when people are able to consume that the economies grow. And that's what we think we are doing. And that's where I say, I keep telling everybody that this is a segment everyone should look, explore and expand. Okay, fascinating. So when did you get your NBFC license? This was like almost four or five years ago. It's been a long while. I'll have to go back and look at the dates. As it, you started lending only after you got a license or did you initially use a partner? No, we, we didn't use a partner for the reasons I told you earlier. But um, but yeah, we did it. Every loan has always been written on our balance sheet. In some ways, it is limiting. But How did you fund it? Like, I mean, through equity. From the sale of Tech Friday, you got enough cash to... 
yeah obviously me and my co-founder we obviously had uh, some funds to invest into the company we but subsequently we did a couple rounds of small rounds of equity funding but credit businesses are all leverage driven businesses you grow credit based on debt so we have um, we have a few debt partners but we also have now getting debt through for FPIs foreign portfolio investors that provide us with debt so yeah we have a combination of equity and debt to leverage and do all these customer loans but, but what are you planning to do this round like 10 million plus 15 million plus kind of around 15 million plus okay got it and how much debt have you raised so far a few few hundred crores and growing got it but in your case you give short term loans so you would not need to raise a lot of debt right because the money gets recycled fast see that's where we are not exactly like a lot of our competition because our customers while can repay in a short term don't have to necessarily do our actual loan term is 3 years the customers can choose to pay us back over 3 years so they have a line of credit for 3 years if they are approved for let's say 40000 then for next 3 years anytime they need up to 40000 so it's like a credit card only basically but it's through a mobile app as i keep saying we try to mirror a digital credit card like experience so so it's not truly a short term product and that's where some of our complex analysis on cash flow requirements is also done but see that's where our customers use us in many ways and the reason we call our products flex is we give the customer the flexibility to withdraw at any time whenever there is a need and repay at any time without asking questions so there are no prepayment penalties nothing in our world we just the customer can choose to repay back in two days and just pay two days worth of interest or repay us back over a three year period so it's completely left to the customer and when you are talking about bring giving customers with 8000 rupees 10000 rupees income they'll get that income every month but some months they will have a little more cash more needs for that money and some months they would not and our customers pay us bare minimum some months and pay off in other months and so that's what we want to give the customers the flexibility to repay and withdraw it well so you have that same period of zero interest usage if customer pays within that cycle like credit card have the cycle na, that your bill is generated on let- no that's we have a similar cycle based approach but the free credit period is something that's in the works right now fully not available to everybody but eventually at scale we expect it to be available why will it be available at scale and not now like what will change our understanding to understand the economics of a life cycle of this okay. so once you go through a cycle or two of these you will know how many people use for how long and things like that helps us determine the true cost of credit for us and then we can determine what's the revenue you can earn and that's where but that's where that's why it's not truly available right now it's more about an understanding um and the other way the other reason it will also be available is also once we start to do uh, actual plastic or something then there could be much and discounts that could be had which which are not available today so but that's an evolution process so are you planning to do that like issue a, like a virtual credit card or a physical credit card yeah it's in it's in the works yeah it's in the works rbi has come up with a set of uh, guidelines and regulations on it so i mean uh, it's under the new circle it's a little more 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 regulated and we need to make sure that we are fully compliant to offer that but yeah it is in the works
RBI has allowed any NBFC to now issue a credit card. You don't have to be a bank or do you need to have a bank partner? No, no. There are, yeah, there are partnership requirements and there are different sets of requirements. And see, once more, it's a fresh regulation. We are getting all kinds of advice on it to make sure that we have a proper structure to offer this. Uh, so tell me about getting the money back in. What is your collections mechanism? So yeah, collections are mainly through our customer-initiated, mostly voluntary collect payments. We are we believe in educating our customers. We believe that the customers need to know when when their due date is, how much they need to pay, and uh, we help them through messaging, emails, and sometimes phone calls. But most of our customers are making voluntary loan payments on or before. Tell me something. Why do you need to have a due date? Why can't it just be? pay whenever you want every day that you have that loan you are uh, there is a certain interest which is getting added on to your interest payable whenever you pay something that amount changes dynamically like, like why the need for a specific day see our customers can do that now they can come and pay when as and when there is they don't have to wait till due date and a lot of our customers that's why i keep saying on or before due date a lot of our customers come and pay us before due date sometimes pay off the whole entire loan as well but the reason you have due date is a lot of customers, especially in India, work work on a EMI, right? Like or a credit card where they are all used to having loan payments scheduled on a day. And the second thing is more behavioral. If you leave something open-ended, a set of customers will take advantage and use it exactly. It's about knowing that, hey, this is due on this day. Because when you don't make a payment, it is not good for you, right? Like it gets negatively reported to the bureaus. And so we need to make sure that the due date has that requirement also in which we need to track a customer's loan payment behavior and report it to the bureaus. So, And also a lot of our customers have sometimes a bad credit or sometimes are new to credit and they're all trying to build their credit history. And that's a big value we provide. If you're doing a 2000 rupee loan, the greatest value other than the access to the 2000 rupee, which may seem small, but is significant for a lot of our customers is or even a 5,000 or a 10,000 rupee loan is the fact that they can actually build their credit history and credit profile based on that first loan they get. So the the due date is, it comes with a fixed amount that has to be paid or it comes with a minimum amount that needs to be paid? Say in a credit card, you can pay a minimum amount and roll over the next. Yeah, we get them a minimum amount. They also can have the ability to have a fixed amount and pay it off quickly. But we keep the customer in charge there. They choose how to pay. And a large, there are a good portion of our customers who just pay, pay it off in full as well. So yeah, but once more, we try to give them a credit card experience as much as we can. So tell me about the growth. So 2018, how much did you disperse that year and how has it been growing? Like this financial year, which ended the 31st March 2022, how much did you disperse in this year or whatever numbers you track? Uh, and how they've grown over the last three, four years. Okay, I'll uh, try and answer this question vaguely without giving any specifics, but giving you an idea of how the growth has been. We have grown tremendously over the last few years. Our customer growth um, uh, three years ago to this now is about a 30-fold increase on a month-on-month basis. Uh, we today get almost nearly. How do you measure this? You're saying customer growth. How do you measure a customer? Is it basically someone who's taken a loan? That's a customer. 
yeah who has taken a loan for the first time with us so that's a customer for us okay so so that new onboarding so so that number is new onboarding how much do you do monthly like how many customers you add every month so yeah so that's what we get over almost half a million applications we are dispersing quite a few of those customers we are at a near 100 crore plus disbursements per month so and those numbers are all 30 times 40 times uh, growth in the last 24 36 months see the one of the challenges for us is two years of our growth have been lost to covid in some way or the other right so because of the first six months are we had a loan moratorium right after that and then we had a pretty bad the delta wave was pretty bad everyone was affected a lot of our customers used the access that we provided kind of through those tough times but at the same time when it was a normal business and normal business growth that we anticipate so so yeah but why was covid tough was it that you were not comfortable you saw it risky and therefore you were not giving out loans or was it that people were not applying for loans the initial phase if you remember rb actually set up a loan moratorium so we could not the customer had the right to not repay loans so in that environment if you can't take back loan payments to lend into it is not uh, the smartest idea so we kind of took a cautious approach at that time but subsequently going through the waves itself was tougher we saw in the middle of waves some reduction in demand and stuff like that but we were catching up and growing and then the omicron wave happened and what we have seen is people when there was a wave they're just trying to make sure they are making smart decisions and not necessarily trying to take more loans unless they have a need for it and you never know what's coming out of it so yeah it was a combination of the factors that kind of i conducive but at the same time everybody got more comfortable to apply for loans online the process has become completely digital and no one's freaked out anymore about giving everything that you ask for so there are positives and those are helping us now uh, as we have hyper growth so the general way in which vc looks at any business is that cac versus ltv kind of a metric so so w- what is that metric like for you what is your customer acquisition cost and what is the lifetime value of a customer for you like our cac to ltv i'll give you the ratios our cac to ltv is almost 4x to 5x so we are building fundamentally So that's because you have a lot of organic acquisition that's the reason it is one we have a organic acquisition two mainly because we have we are offering the product to a consumer group that doesn't have too many options so once the customers come with us they stick with us so there we have some of our customers not that their first initial financial need is met for their subsequent needs or also they are looking at us as an option so that's a great uh, testament so we have high customer retention rates high customer reactivation rates and all of that kind of add to that lifetime value when you don't have to once you get a customer when you don't have to go back to get that customer again it kind of makes it that much more valuable right so that's one of the main reasons and and a lot of it has to do with the targeting and it's just it's not just about what we do but it also is about the larger economic issue a lot of our customers have in getting access and solving access seems like a great way to acquire these customers and keep these customers so what do you think is going to be your 
path to becoming a unicorn? What are those things that you need to solve in the puzzle? Do you need to solve for supply of funds or do you need to solve for customer acquisition or do you need to solve for risk algorithms? What are those things in your radar that these are your priorities for the next two, three years? Yeah, I think we are focused on execution and we are at a stage capital is very important to grow businesses and more importantly lending businesses because it requires not just equity but also debt and lending businesses are judged on being prudent and profitable. You can't have large delinquencies so risk is a very important factor as well. But as I said, we are one of the first fintech NBFCs which was licensed in India. We are also one of the few fintechs and a startup which has been profitable since inception. So, and we take it, we take this with pride. And as we go into this hyper growth phase, we believe that we will get to unicorn or any other kind of mythical animal status that people want to accord us in due course, as long as we execute and stay true to our mission. Our mission is, we are talking about this 300, 400 million Indians. If we get one, 2% market share, 5% market share, as I said, more mythical animals, maybe Pegasus, Pegasi or something. We are right now at a place where we are taking flight. We got our wings taking flight. And I think all those will come in due course. I personally would be more excited about having a billion dollar book than a billion dollar valuation. And we test ourselves on all those metrics. And because the difficult thing to do in my mind is to have a loan book, which is 7,000 crores or 10,000 crores. Not that to become having a billion dollar valuation is any easy and a lot of kudos to a lot of people who have been able to achieve it. But my point is, if we get to that somewhere along the way, much ahead of we having a billion dollar book, the other thing will happen. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-M dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows.